Well, we are in our third week of uh, this sermon series. We're calling this sermon series, I Didn't Learn That in Sunday School. In this sermon series, we are looking at those stories that likely you did not learn in Sunday school. Now, some of us grew up in Sunday school, some of us didn't, but even if you didn't grow up in Sunday school, you've probably heard some of these familiar stories, familiar texts from Scripture. You probably heard that Jesus walked on water. You probably heard that there was a good Samaritan who acted in a gracious way to somebody who was his enemy. You probably heard that there were Ten Commandments. You might not have grown up in Sunday school. You might not know what those Ten Commandments are. But you've likely heard there are Ten Commandments. You probably heard that Noah built an ark and that Moses parted the Red Sea. Those stories, and many others like them, get a lot of play in church. Those are the stories we grew up hearing. Those are the stories we like to share. Uh, and we preach on those stories and other texts like those very often in church. They're, they're rich texts that teach us about the faith, but there are many other rich texts in Scripture that teach us about the faith that don't get as much play. They're a little odder. They don't fit culturally in our world as well. They don't maybe fit as well culturally in their world. They, they stand out. When you read them, they kind of have a stark, you know, uh, abrupt, feeling, uh, and it's kind of difficult to know how to interpret them. We're, in this series, taking a look at some of those sacred texts and trying that hard work of figuring out what they meant back then so we can try to apply that kernel of truth into our lives today. And today we're talking about someone named Jephthah. Jephthah was a judge in Israel in about the 12th century B.C. Jephthah is his name, and he was a judge in Israel. He was really kind of an unusual character, an unusual person to become a judge. We'll take a look at his life. Before we do, I want to ask you this question. Have you ever known someone who had more passion than good sense? Have you ever known someone who had more passion than good sense? Anyone, if, if they're sitting next to you, don't raise your hand, but anyone ever known someone who had more passion, more zeal, more spirit, more fire than they had good sense. The type of person that would run through a wall without asking why that wall's there, or made, what it's made of, or what's on the other side of it. The kind of person who's a ready, fire, aim kind of person. You ever known that type of person? They're, they're ready to do anything. Their heart's in it, but whether their mind is there, that's in question. Jephthah was that type of person. Jephthah was a man with fire in his heart. He was a man with passion. The Scripture tells us that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. The Scripture, even in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, lists him among the heroes of the faith in that list in Hebrews 11. He's on the hall of fame of faith. There was nothing wrong with his heart. But something about his faith missed his mind. It, it, it was in his heart, but it didn't, it didn't richly, deeply inhabit his mind. And because of that, he made at least one, and if you read on into chapter 12, which we're not going to today, multiple very critical mistakes in passion for serving the Lord. We're going to look at one of those today. And the thing that it teaches us is that passion isn't enough. It's not enough just to have passion for God. It's not enough just to love God with our heart. God wants us to love God with our mind as well. And while so often in church we talk about helping get the information that we have in our mind down into our heart, it's true as well. 
for we who are passionate about God, that we need to get that passion from our heart into our mind as well. Let me read it for you. Uh, it's from Judges chapter 11. We're going to look kind of near the end of the chapter first and try to introduce this story. Then I'm going to go back to the beginning and introduce you to Jephthah more properly. Judges 11, 29 through 36. It says, Now the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, so that he passed through Gilead and Manasseh. Then he passed through Mitzvah of Gilead, and from Mitzvah of Gilead he went on to the sons of Ammon. Jephthah made a vow to the Lord, and he said, If you, Lord, will indeed give the sons of Ammon into my hand, then it shall be that whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the sons of Ammon, it shall be the Lord's, and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. So Jephthah crossed over to the sons of Ammon to fight against them, and the Lord gave them into his hand. He struck them with a very great slaughter from Haror to the entrance of Mineth, the twenty cities, as far as Abel, Kerim, and the sons of Ammon were subdued before the sons of Israel. Then Jephthah came to his house at Mitzvah. Behold, his daughter was coming out to meet him with tambourines and with dancing. Now she was his one and only child. Beside her there was no son or daughter. When he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me low. You are among those who trouble me, for I have given my word to the Lord, and I can't take it back. So she said to him, My father, you have given your word to the Lord. Do to me as you have said, since the Lord avenged you to your enemies, the sons of Ammon. Didn't learn that one in Sunday school, did you? Could you imagine being in Sunday school and going in and having your kindergarten teacher, first grade teacher, lay down a piece of paper and say, hey, we got a craft this morning. We're all going to draw a picture of Judge Jephthah putting his daughter on the fiery altar. It's yeah, that's a tough one. It's a tough one for Sunday school. It's a tough one in church. Jephthah, in many ways, is a man of God, but he does something which is entirely incoherent, entirely opposed to God's message, to God's law, to God's truth. In Scripture, God directly prohibits human sacrifice, and especially of this form, which was practiced among the Canaanites, when the Canaanites, in order to appease their God, the, would, would offer a child burned on a sacrifice to try to appease their God's wrath or try to seek their God's favor. Leviticus 18.21 says this, you shall not give any of your offspring to offer them to Moloch. Moloch was the Canaanite god. Nor shall you profane the name of the Lord God. I am the Lord. The, the scripture, the, the law, even Moses, before the people even came into the land, they warned them. Now the people in the land, they offered their children as sacrifice to the Lord. Don't do that. We don't do that. In 2 Kings 23.10, Josiah was the king, and he was uh, reforming the people who had gone off into worshiping false gods. And it says, he, Josiah, also defiled Topheth, which, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnon. So no man might make his son or daughter pass through the fire of Moloch. 
He's talking about how Josiah stopped this practice that had somehow invaded into Hebrew worship as they have tried to worship the false gods of the Canaanites. This is among the reasons the Scripture gives that God pushed the seven nations of the Canaanites out from the Promised Land and brought the Israelites in was because they made their children pass through the fire of Moloch, offering their children in burnt sacrifices to God. And yet Jephthah, a leader in Israel, he became the judge over all of Israel, did this very thing. It's despicable. It's confusing. It's hard to understand why or how he would do this. And so what I want to do this morning is give you a little background on who this person is, Jephthah, and what would lead him to do that, and then try to apply a truth to our life, which I think has a lot to say to you and I today, and that is that passion isn't enough. That, that we can have a heart full of passion. We can have a heart of faith. We can have a heart that loves God and do some pretty terrible things. And throughout history, we've seen this among those who call themselves Christian. That in fact, we can love God with our heart and be way out of God's plan and purpose for our lives. And so we need to learn to love God with our mind as well as our heart. Loving God with our heart is is foundational. It is essential to faith, but so is loving God with our mind. So we're going to take a look at that this morning. Let me uh, walk you through the text. We're looking at the tragedy of passion without knowledge, the tragedy of loving God with our heart and without our mind. We're going to start with the fact that oftentimes that leads us to reject those that we don't like or those that are different than us or alienate them from us. Look, look at Judges 11, 1 through 3. This is the beginning of the story of Jephthah. It says, Now Jephthah the Gileadite was a valiant warrior, but he was the son of a harlot. And Gilead was the father of Jephthah. Gilead's wife bore him sons. And when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, You shall not have an inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. So Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob. And worthless fellows gathered themselves around Jephthah, and they went out with him. The, the tragedy of the story of Jephthah begins with a, another tragedy, and that is Jephthah's rejection by his brother, by his family, by his clan, by Israel itself. And Jephthah being forced to leave God's people, God's land, and go and live in Tob. I've got a map here for you so we can see this. Uh, this is roughly the area of Israel as we would think today. This is the Sea of Galilee. This is the Dead Sea. This is the Jordan River. In today's Israel, you know, Israel sits here and Jordan sits here. We used to call this Transjordan because it's across the Jordan River. But in ancient Israel... There were two tribes that had land on this side of the river and ten tribes that had land on this side. Ten and a half because uh, Manasseh was on both sides. This area right here was called Gilead. Gilead. It wasn't one of the original tribes, but it became a significant geographic and community people right here between Gad and Manasseh. And this was the area that Jephthah was from. Je Jephthah, we're told, his mom was a harlot, but his father 
was named Jephthah. When it says his father was Jephthah, it doesn't mean that his father's name was Jephthah. What it means is that his father was from this region and was a true Israelite, uh, a Gileadite, a person from Gilead, a true Gileadite. And so what it's saying is, is that Jephthah was himself a true Gileadite, that he was the child of a Gileadite, that he grew up in this home, but there was this issue in his life. His mom was a harlot. Because of that, his brothers, his half-brothers, didn't view him as part of the family. They didn't see him as an equal. They didn't see him as a wanted member in their family. They didn't even see him as a, as a deserving human being, right? When they grew of enough age that they could influence the family, they decided, we are not going to let this boy be part of our family. We share the same dad, but he's got a different mom. And we are not going to allow him to inherit land with us. You know, in ancient Israel, the, the, when, when Joshua led the people into Israel, they divided the land between the 12 tribes, the 12 sons of Jacob, and then within the tribes, between these different uh, clans, and then within the clans between different families. And each family, the land was passed down as an inheritance to their sons. The only way you could really live in Israel, if you weren't a Levite and a priest, was to inherit this land from your father. Without this land, you had no land to farm. You had no place in the promised land. And that's what happened to Jephthah. His brother said, we are not going to include you in the inheritance of our father. Therefore, you are not going to have an occupation. You're not going to have a place to live in the land. You're not going to belong to our family. And Jephthah had to flee from Gilead, from Israel, out to Tob, the outskirts of Israel. There, the scripture says that they gathered around him worthless fellows. These are not worthless people in God's eyes. These are people that the world views as worthless. Other people who had been kicked out of their families, other people who had had debts and had run away from them, other people who had escaped slavery, other people that had, that had, had no place to go. And, and they gathered around Jephthah, and Jephthah created this little community, this little it's really like an organized crime family. Uh, they would make their living by going out and plundering little villages and little caravans, these worthless fellows that Jephthah had developed among himself. When he was kicked out from his family, this became his family. That's the tragedy of Jephthah. That's where it started. It started with rejection and alienation by his brothers who didn't understand that his father was a true Gileadite and that he belonged. The second kind of tragedy in this passion without knowledge that you see in Jephthah's life is this 180 turn where the people of Gilead go from viewing Jephthah as an outsider to all of a sudden deciding that they're going to make him their judge and leader because they are so desperate they act in this recklessness. That's what they do. They decide, this person who last year we wouldn't even let live in our midst, we're going to put in charge of our nation. Let me read it for you, verses 4 through 11. It came about that after a while the sons of Ammon fought against Israel. Ammon was one of the seven nations of the Canaanites that lived in the land, and they now are attacking Gilead. 
When the sons of Ammon fought against Israel, the elders of Gilead went out to get Jephthah from the land of Tob. And they said to Jephthah, come and be our chief. By chief, they mean the head of their army in fighting against Ammon. And we will fight against the sons of Ammon. Then Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, Did you not hate me and drive me from my father's house? So why have you come to me now when you're in trouble? The elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, For this reason we have now returned to you, that you may go with us and fight with the sons of Ammon and become head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. By head they mean not just the military leader, but the political head of their people. So Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, if you take me back to fight against the sons of Ammon and the Lord gives them, into, gives them up to me, will I become your head, the, the, the head of your community, the, our nation? And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, the Lord is witness to us. Surely we will do as you have said. So Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead and the people made him head, political head of their community, and chief, military head of their army, over them. And Jephthah spoke all his words before the Lord at Mitzvah. So Jephthah's out there. He's like the godfather. He's the head of this little organized crime people that are living at the edge of Israel, between Israel and Ammon. They're going out and they're pilfering villages and fighting against different little groups of people. That's how they're making their living Everybody back in Gilead's fine, but all of a sudden a war starts and Ammon is now attacking Israel and Gilead's on kind of the front line of that attack. And so the, the Gileadites are like, who's going to defend us? We, we don't have an army. This, this time was during the time of the judges. The time of the judges was like 1150 B.C. to 1025 B.C. when Israel didn't have a king. They didn't have a standing army. There were like 12 semi-independent tribes who just took care of themselves. The scripture says in the book of Judges that everybody did what was right in their own eyes. And they all had these elders and they kind of just took care of themselves. But then when they were attacked, God would raise up a judge to go and lead the nation as a whole. But they, they didn't know who that person was. And so the people in Gilead are like, we know somebody who's strong, who fights, who's tough, who could take on the Ammonites. They're like, who is it? Jephthah. Oh, I mean, Jephthah doesn't even live in Gilead anymore. Yeah, but He's got a whole band of people there, and every day they're going out and fighting, and they're strong. Let's go to, let's go to Tob and ask him to come back and lead us against the Ammonites. Well, why would he do that? We'll make him chief over our army. So they do, they go to him and they say, come back and be chief over our army, and, and, and Jephthah's like, what? You guys kicked me out. Now you want me back? Now you want me to defend you? You're going to make me chief? And he said, listen, we'll make you head over our whole nation. That's, in fact, what happens. Jephthah became judge over all of Israel. Come back and lead us into battle. They were desperate. That They weren't thinking any more than Jephthah was thinking. They, they weren't thinking of what are the qualifications of a godly leader? Who do we want to lead Israel? Who understands our ways, our customs? Who knows our God? They weren't thinking of that. They were thinking, we're going to get taken over by the Ammons. We're going to lose our land. If we don't have somebody who can fight for us, let's go get Jephthah 
whatever the cost, let's get him. That's what they did. They offered him everything to be leader over their nation. At first, it looks like Jephthah does a decent job. And in verses 12 through 28, he sends letters to the Ammonites. He says to the Ammonites, hey, listen, we've got an army together. We're ready to fight you. Back down. The Ammonites say, no, we're coming. He says, what do you guys want anyways? The Ammonites say, we want the land that you took from us. And Jephthah's like, we didn't take the land from you. Joshua let us in. God gave us this land. Your land's over there. You stay there. We'll be here. We'll be fine. The Ammonites don't accept that. They said, no, we're going to fight. And so they come out to fight him. And this is the night before the battle of Jephthah's life. Can you imagine? He's now the head over Israel. He's the head over the army that they put together. He's about to go out and fight against the Ammonites. This, like every battle like this, is a, is a fight that could cost him his, his own life. It could cause him his death. It's a, it's a battle that could cost the nation itself its land and sovereignty, right? But in addition to that, for Jephthah personally, this fight is the fight that takes him from being the rejected, unwanted child who's left behind, who's forced out, who's rejected by Israel, and now makes him judge over all of Israel. And so the night before he goes out in battle, he bows down before God, and he prays like he's never prayed. It's earnest, it's true, it's real. He's not hypocritical. He'll do anything for God if God will just do this for him. He'll offer anything to God if God would just show his power through him. Listen to this, verse 29 through 36. We read it before, I'll just read a couple verses again. It says, now the sons of so, now the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, so he passed through Gilead and Manasseh, and he passed through Mitzvah of Gilead, and from Mitzvah of Gilead, he went on to the sons of Ammon. Their, their army's ready, and he's got his army, and he's passing through Gilead, and he's going to the front. The night before the battle, Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will indeed give the sons of Ammon into my hand, then it shall be that whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the sons of Ammon, it shall be the Lord's, and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. His, his heart is pure. He's literally saying, God, I will give you the most valuable thing in my life. If you help me win this battle, when I go back home, the first person out of the door of my house who's there to congratulate me, we don't know who that person is. Is it a servant? Is it a family member? Is it a friend? Whoever comes, the first person to congratulate me when I get home from winning this battle that you gave me, I'm going to offer them to you as a burnt sacrifice. Now, what in the world was this guy thinking, you know? Where did this come from? His heart is so sold out for God, but his mind is in a totally different place. And of course, if we know the little bit about the history, we kind of get an idea where his mind was. This kid, remember, he's a true Gileadite in a sense, but he wasn't raised like a Gileadite. He was raised on the outside, right? His formative years were in Tob. 
He, he didn't learn this stuff in Sunday school. He didn't have anybody to say, now remember Leviticus, you know, don't, when you have kids, when you grow up, don't put them on the fire. He, he was out there. As he went out and battled, he watched how the other people, the Canaanite people, when they had a crucial battle in their life, how they would make a vow to God, how they would offer what's most valuable to them in the world, their son or their daughter on a fire before God. And how sometimes it looked like that worked, you know? And he said, that's what I'm going to do. He knew God in a sense. He knew what God was. He was worshiping the God of the universe, the God of Israel. But his mind was functioning like somebody who had a totally different worldview. A, a, a guy who, who worshiped a totally different God. And that's what happens. When you have a passion for God, but your heart, your mind is not, is not in line when you love God with all your heart, but, but you don't love God with, with your mind. Remember, Leviticus says, you shall not give any offering, of any of your offspring to offer to Moloch, the Canaanite God in this way. You shall, nor shall you profane the name of your God. And the point of all this is the passion isn't enough. That, that we need to love God with all our heart, but we also need to love God with our mind. That, that not everything that you do with the right motives is the right thing to do. His motives were pure. His motive, he didn't want to kill his daughter. He loved his, his only child. He wept when he got home. He didn't, but he did it. Why? Because he didn't know any better. His, his heart was totally, purely committed to God. His mind was not. And the point is, not everything that we do out of passion, out of zeal, out of faith even, is from God. We have to connect that passion, that faith, that zeal in our heart with a knowledge, with an understanding in our mind. Now, as a pastor, so often, I'm going completely the other direction, right? As a pastor, let me just admit, most of the time, I'm going the other direction. I'm trying to get people to put the knowledge they have in their mind into action in their heart. Most of the time, my assumption is, I don't know if this is how you guys see it, but most of the time, my assumption is that most of us know what God wants us to do. We know the type of husband or wife God wants us to be. We know the type of steward of our resources God wants us to be. We know the type of neighbor and friend God wants us to be. We know the type of religious person or faithful person God wants us to be. That in general, we have an understanding of the type of person God wants us to be, and the real issue is trying to get us to move that knowledge into our heart. In fact, I've preached sermons and heard sermons about the 12 inches from the head to the heart, which is the hardest obstacle to overcome, that this can be the farthest distance of getting that knowledge that we have about God and putting it into practice. That's most of the sermons I probably preach. This sermon is going the opposite direction. This sermon is saying sometimes some of us have a heart that's full to God, that's submitted to God, that wants nothing more than God's will. 
that, that, that would give God anything. But we don't know what that is. And I've heard people say that to me. Pastor Todd, I, I, I love God, but I don't know what God wants me to do. I don't know if God wants me to marry this person or not. I don't know. I don't know if God wants me to take this job or not. I don't know if God wants me to do this ministry or this. I don't know. I'll do whatever God wants, but I don't know. And that's why it's so important that we study Scripture, that we develop a biblical theology, that we are part of a small group and have some other wise people around us that can kind of... Imagine if Jephthah had a small group of faithful Gileadites who understood the law around him going, whoa, (laughs) love your heart there, buddy. I, I, I got it. You're ready to give God anything, not your daughter, okay? God don't want your daughter that way, you know? What if Jephthah had some people around him who could speak that truth from God's word into his life, but he didn't? He was surrounded by people that didn't know. And his heart was pure, but his actions were despicable. Passion is not enough. That's why it's so important, like I say, that we read Scripture, that we study Scripture, that we're in a small group, that we're going to be starting some of our faith essential classes this week, actually. And, And these classes are really designed to help us understand what it means to walk with Christ. These classes are really... I mean, they, they move our hearts, too, but they're really designed to teach our mind a biblical worldview. I've got, good news, 128 people, I think, reading through the New Testament with us this, uh, this year. They just started, we just started doing this on Jan- January 1st, and a lot of those people are joining us on midday prayer as well as people are able. Um, I, that's great because every day I meet Christian people who've never really read the Bible. Their their heart is committed to Christ, but they don't have that deep understanding of what that means. Jephthah was a man of faith. I'm going to see Jephthah in eternity in the kingdom of God. He's, He's listed in Hebrews 11 as one of the heroes of faith. He was committed, but his mind was not deeply enriched with God's message. If you don't believe me, like I said, it's not, it's not just here. If you go on and read in Judges 12, he wins this battle, he comes back, he tells his daughter, now I've got to offer you the sacrifice. The daughter goes away for two months with her friends just to mourn over this, and then comes back, they offer a sacrifice. Then they make Jephthah judge over all of Israel, another tribe, Ephraim, that's on the other side of the river, comes, and they're complaining to Jephthah, because they say, hey, Jephthah, when you went out and fought the Ammonites, you didn't call us. We weren't allowed to go out, and we should have gone out with you to fight, and Jephthah starts this argument with Ephraim. He's like, that's on you. That's not on me. That's on you. Instead of being a good leader and being like, oh, yeah, next time I'm going to call you. I want you guys with me. He starts this war with Ephraim. He kills 42,000 Ephraimites, almost all military-aged men in Ephraim, he kills them, his fellow Israelites, because 
Again, he acts on passion without knowledge. That's that story, you might have heard this in Sunday school, where they come out to battle him, and, and he sets up this encampment along the Jordan River, and when they're trying to flee back to Ephraim, he makes them say Sibosheth. If they can't say Sibosheth, if they say Sibosheth instead of Shibosheth, they get killed, you know. <laughs> That's the kind of leader Jephthah was. You know, he's a, he's a passionate leader, but his leadership lacked good sense. Well, that's our prayer. That's my hope for each of us, that we would love God with that kind of passion, where we would offer God everything that we have, everything that we are, but we'd mar- connect that passion with a head of knowledge so that we don't just have a heart for God, we have a mind that loves God as well. Amen? Let's pray that might be so. Lord God, thank you for uh, your word and even these disturbing parts of your word that we read and we're like, oh my. Lord, our prayer is that we would learn from even these texts that we never heard taught in Sunday school and particularly from this lesson of Jephthah that, Lord, we would love you with all of our heart, but also all of our mind, that you would train our mind, that we would understand your will, and that we would courageously be willing to live out your will. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you that you don't leave us guessing how you want us to live or how you want us to worship how you want us to sacrifice, how you want us to give ourselves to you. But that you offer us instruction. Help us to walk in that to the glory of Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.